So, Paul, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Are we really going to do the tired old uh, trucking magazine pun thing with uh, the word hall for this episode? <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing, Tom. We're, we're, we're broadcasting this to the outside world, and you're an editor for a trucking magazine, so it might be tired and moth-eaten to you, but to our Radiotopia listeners, it, it could be fresh and new. Back now, inside, as it were, with you, but as was always the intent with the Over the Road podcast, co-produced by Overdrive and PRX's Radiotopia podcast network, there's plenty to chew on for owner-ops and drivers in this episode number seven, the second to last in Overdrive Radio's ongoing re-air of the OTR series. I'm Todd Dills, your host to introduce this edition, featuring the gentleman you heard at the top with me, Long Haul Paul Marhofer, and his Long Haul, H-A-U-L indeed, his Long Haul of Fame, an episode that told the stories of five of Moorhofer's trucking heroes. Longtime professional driver Idella Marie Hansen, owner-operator Big Jim Selkirk, Ken Shoestring Waugh, overnight radio DJ Marcia Campbell, and, finally, a tribute to one of those heroes who's passed on, New York-based Fast Freddy Lieb, the quote-unquote Pope of Pompano, running out of the Florida Pompano Beach market and up and down the East Coast, where Marhofer knew him best. This has always been among my favorite of the eight-part series. As you might imagine, given how long I'd worked with Marhofer's stories for Overdrive by the time we started working on Over the Road, I'd heard about many of these men and women in conversation with him, if I didn't know them already. Their stories, told in their own words and with Marhofer's guiding hand, well, the portrait of trucking that emerges is indelible of the highs and lows of life and work and though i'm giving it a go here i guess it's indescribable really one of those you just have to hear it kinds of things before we dive in here's a run through some of the week's news from overdriveonline.com the federal hours of service regulations changed september 29 did it change drivers rates of uh, violation Comparing the four months before and after that date, total hours violations declined. However, what actually happened wasn't what was expected, said FMCSA Enforcement Chief Joe DiLorenzo. Turns out, the decline was due largely to a dip in 30-minute break violations. Under the new hours rules, FMCSA relaxed the regulations around the use of a 30-minute break. It's now required within a driver's first eight hours of accumulated drive time, rather than the first eight on-duty hours and can be a combination of both on-duty not driving and off-duty hours rather than just off-duty under the prior rule. Truckload freight rates reached a plateau in the week ending March 14, with volumes down slightly in most major segments, said DAT Freight and Analytics. The high averages were well above rates recorded in the prior month. Dry vans hit 270 per mile, 30 cents higher than the February average, likewise flatbed at $2.70. Refrigerated was up to nearly $3 a mile. All of it was on higher fuel prices, as Overdrive's been tracking this year. The national average for a gallon of diesel reached $3.07 last week, up another 3.3% compared to the previous week. One of the COVID-19 pandemic's many outcomes in trucking was the acceleration of the use of off-site fleet compliance reviews by the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. In some cases, Safety ratings were issued as a result of audits conducted entirely off-site, 
policy change adopted by the agency as an emergency provision when the pandemic began and uncertainty was high. While the format allows the FMCSA to conduct audits remotely and with streamlined procedures, the shift, contrary to what some observers expected, did not result in more safety ratings issued. That's a critical point for some fleets, especially small ones, that need a positive rating for operational reasons, such as insurance rates and the ability to do business with A-list customers. Safety ratings issued were down by almost 40% compared to 2019 levels when lumping together satisfactory, conditional, and or unsatisfactory ratings. The huge drop suggests auditors' hesitancy to issue ratings as a result of a solely off-site investigation. The Trump administration's Department of Labor in January published a final rule to clarify the definition of independent contractor within the Fair Labor Standards Act. Under Biden, that rule is among the prior administration's actions the DOL is now proposing to withdraw to keep the current independent contractor definition unchanged. Current labor leadership under Biden questions whether the rule is fully aligned with the text of the Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLA's purpose and or case law describing and applying so-called economic realities tests that determine validity of independent contractor relationships. The rule was first set to take effect March 8th, but DOL has delayed the rule's effective date to May 7th and is now accepting comments on proposal to claw back the rule entirely. A new Love's Travel Stop location opened in Kansas City, Missouri off of Highway 210 on North Ameristar Drive. It features 115 truck parking spaces, McDonald's, eight diesel bays, seven showers, and a speedco. The annual Make-A-Wish Mother's Day Truck Convoy in Pennsylvania returns to its traditional weekend this year after last year's delay due to the pandemic. The drivers will leave Mannheim, Pennsylvania Auto Auction at 1.30 p.m. on Sunday, May 9. Make-A-Wish will be broadcasting the convoy live on its Facebook page. The 100-truck convoy will feature the top 30 drivers who raised the most money for the Philadelphia, Delaware, and Susquehanna Valley Make-A-Wish chapters. Convoy spots are still available for registration. Find a link to the registration page via our Mother's Day convoy coverage at overdriveonline.com. After a quick break for a word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor, we'll dive into Long Haul Paul's Hall of Fame with Mar Hofer, Over the Road contributing producer Lacey Roberts, and myself. Let's go. If you're a leased owner-operator, you need quality insurance to keep you protected. Call First Guard for the commercial truck insurance you need and the service you deserve. First Guard is the trucker's insurance company. We understand your needs and offer physical damage and non-trucking liability insurance for leased owner-operators. With First Guard, you always get fast and friendly service. Visit firstguard.com. That's the number one, stguard.com. First Guard, we speak trucker. Let's talk. Hey listeners, Paul here, packing up to take a load of food down to Florida. I just want to offer a personal content warning for this one. You know, the world we inhabit as truckers is not always G-rated. And frankly, the way we talk about that world among ourselves can get pretty coarse. We do our best here at Over the Road to present these stories in an unvarnished manner while still being sensitive to both our listeners and the people we're talking about. To be truthful, though, that hasn't always been easy. There have been some pretty tough calls along the way, especially in this episode. 
You'll be hearing accounts of drug use, homelessness, and sex work. Just know we thought a lot about it and feel like there's meaning and merit in every story you're about to hear. Here's the episode. When we were mapping out this podcast, somehow this idea came up of just who are your personal heroes and who are people that just mean a lot to you. And somebody at that Radiotopia headquarters said, you know, we just need to make an episode about these people. That's why we came up with this this title. Um, so, Paul, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead, Todd. Are we really going to do the tired old uh, trucking magazine pun thing with uh, the word hall for this episode? <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing, Tom. We're, we're, we're broadcasting this to the outside world, and you're an editor for a trucking magazine, so it might be tired and moth-eaten to you. <laughs> But to our Radiotopia listeners, it, it could be fresh and new. Um, Lacey, can, can you announce the title? Because I don't completely remember it. Sure. Uh, well, hit the music. We're about to enter the world of Long Haul Paul's Long Hall of Fame. <laughs> These people... You know, I had tricks. Oh, boy. Oh, they're not owners of truck stops. They're not, like, leaders of movements. These are people that I, I met by chance out on the road. It was like Halloween down there. You know? I didn't dream this. <laughs> it was, it was a God-given plan. And, and it's I, I have, like, this one rule. If you're going to be, like, my trucking friend... They called the cops on you. They have to be highly entertaining people. <laughs> When the going gets tough, the tough get trucking. I mean, there's stories after stories back in the day. All five of these people are great entertainers in their own special way. No, 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 no. You don't throw cheese away. Oh, wait a minute. I am an old woman. So that she's like a trucking legend. You know, baby, can I use your radio? Information and entertainment. From PRX's Radiotopia and Overdrive magazine, this is Long Haul Paul's Hall of Fame on Over the Road. Was a little too strong on the Over the Road? Was that just a little too strong? Nice. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, should we get into the uh, episode? Absolutely. Okay. So the first hero and mentor and friend is Idella Marie Hansen. My name is Idella Marie Hansen, and I'm 69 years old. What was that other thing? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. How many years have you been trucking? 52 years. I've been driving 52 years. Can't you tell? My memory's gone. She's an interesting, interesting lady. I get up in the morning, and I get in that seat. I give that little wiggle, and I'm ready for my date. Idella is the ultimate badass trucker chick. Um, she, she hauls money for a living, and she wears a gun. Oh, it's empowering. Who in the hell gives a 64-year-old woman a gun that never shot a gun before in her life? You know, are you nuts or something? You know, and 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 I I just make it a habit when they when they ask me, well, what are you hauling? I just I just tell them, you know better than to ask that, and you need to step away from the truck. 
Can you give me your step away from the truck thing? You need to step away from the truck. That puts the fear of God in me oh, yeah. right now. Now ask me again. What are you hauling? What you don't need you, to, you don't need to ask me that question, sir. You're going to need to step away from the truck. What's going on here is none of your business. You need to move on. And you need to move on now. So just imagine that. 64 years old, I think I'll just start hauling money and carrying a gun around. <laughs> Do you ever, you know, if I was, if I hold money and if I wore a gun, I, I'm afraid I would like to stand in front of the mirror at the, <laughs> in the Flying J and say, freeze! <laughs> Pull the gun out of the holster. Freeze! <laughs> do you ever do that? I mean, do you ever like to stand in front of the mirror? No, we do have to do that. Stop! Halt! Security officer! Okay, there is a little power in there. <laughs> the, you know, there, there's people that start hanging it up at 64. But she, she's just like, she loves to truck. There isn't anything else. There just isn't anything else. I, I couldn't have been anything else but a truck driver. I don't ever want to quit driving. I really don't. She grew up in like a middle-class uh, business family, and but she, she had this thing in her from the very beginning. My, I had a pedal car. Mom never let me have a bicycle, but I had a pedal car, one of them little boo pedal cars, and I would, I was a spade demon everywhere. <laughs> you just loved it. I loved it, and my dad said, she's gonna be a driver. Dad wasn't real keen on it. He thought I should be a bookkeeper. Mother should I wanted to send me to a school in Ohio for music, and I wanted to drive. And for a long time, Dad didn't talk to me. He would walk across the street, wouldn't have anything to do with me. Then he became proud of me. He said, that's my daughter out there. You see that? She owns that truck. She runs that business. And we've been a family. We were always a family of owning our own businesses. So uh, having him be proud of me was something. So she was hauling by herself. Most of the time I worked locally. Chips, rock. And then she got married. Uh, with Russell. She was hauling with her husband, right? Yes, they were They were in separate trucks, but they were always on the, like, the same gig. But then her husband gets injured and she has to go out over the road. What was I gonna do? I had a truck payment, I had house payments, two kids. Was I gonna go home and cry? It was time to go to work. That's when you really see, like, the, the feistiness of her personality come through in these stories. B.J. McAdams pulled flatbed for him. Well, I was being pushed around and I was being taken. So, you know, when she first started out, I think, as an owner-operator, like, she, she had this boss that had, must have been the 70s or 80s when, when guys were, like, wearing their shirts open to like the fourth button. <laughs> he always walked around with his shirt unbuttoned. Like a like a manly man with the hairy chest and everything and real manly. Real manly. And he had a habit of always something being wrong with your check. You were always short. Now, I remember thinking to myself, this ain't happening. This just ain't happening. And I don't remember where I got the little heat gun to take the signs off the truck, you know. She had those uh, stickers that she'd taken off the truck, which are, you know, highly adhesive. They're, you know, they're made to withstand wind, rain, snow. And I heated them up and pulled them off. And I went in there and I took them signs. And of course, now you know they're sticky. 
I wadded them all up and I walked in and he says, you're not going to quit. And I said, oh, yes, I am. And I stuck them right to his hairy chest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. She she really sounds like a legend. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She She's one of these few people who have actually had a truck stop named after her. Uh, the Idella Hansen North Little Rock Petro. <laughs> and uh, Todd, can you remember the exact distinction? That... It's called the, uh, the T.A. Petro Citizen Driver Award, and they've been doing it for several years now. Can you, can you tell me uh, the whole, how that whole thing worked out where a truck stop got named after you? How does that work? I don't know how the hell it happened. <laughs> I think they accept nominations from anybody in the trucking community and it's always uh, you know it's always a driver she says i would like to nominate you for ta petrol citizen of the year and i says you've got to be kidding me did you ask her what it feels like to pull into a truck stop that has her name on it oh yeah yeah i did but now i got shot down i got shot down on that um of course my name's on the top of the fuel receipt and my picture's right there you know so i go in i was full of myself and I said, the gal gives me, I said, well, you know who I am, don't you? <laughs> You've got to be kidding. I couldn't believe I said that. <laughs> and she says, well, no. And she's looking right at the receipt. And she's looking at my name. And, and, and never the twain shall meet, right? <laughs> and I was very polite. I says, I thought to myself, I deserve that. Who the hell do you think you are? It taught me a lesson. I go in there. If they say, if they hug my neck and say anything, that's great. If they don't, I'm not anybody special. I'm just the next truck driver in line. But you know, really, I think they need to make me a parking spot, a reserved parking spot with my name on it that's mine alone, don't you? Paul. Yeah. Tell me about shoestring. My name's Ken Wall, and I've been trucking for approximately 38 years now. Well, shoestring, shoestring uh, Wall is, this guy is such a storyteller. There was this old hotel across the street there. And that's where all of the hookers and the cross-dressers, it was all happening right there. His stories are so evocative. And I got this drink, and I don't even know what kind of drink it was. I was so malnutrition from running over the road, but it had all of this. It was a great big bowl. Had all like shoestring to me, like towers, towers over my stories. I mean, because he, <laughs> you had to go out and live that to get that story. I figured it up one time you had to average about 70 mile an hour to get there. I mean, just just judging from the, the stories he told in that interview you did with him, he strikes me as a guy who had a tendency to get himself into trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's just a tip of the iceberg. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't get stories like that 
by being the pillar of the community. You know, <laughs> you don't get stories like that. And and now now he became the pillar of the community. Like he's a stellar stand up salt of the earth guy. But I think there's this part of him that he he loves to tell these stories about the wilder days because he's resurrecting these memories and these characters and and he just he just gives it all to you. He gives you the good, the bad, and the ugly. One time I was in Columbia, South Carolina. There's this one story in particular, and, and this is vintage Sue String. He's laid over for the weekend at this truck stop in South Carolina, and things really do take a bizarre and ultimately disturbing turn. I back my large car in, you know, and uh, the parking place to my left was these old bed buggers. I got to talking to him. We all pitched in on some booze and everything, and um, the party got out of control. It got out of control, yeah. These were household movers, and they started bringing the furniture out. The drunker and higher they got. So I bring over a bag of weed, and I throw it down. Well, I was their best friend then. I get a lawn chair off of the truck. Well, setting over from me was uh, these chicken haulers. That night, the barrels came out, busted up pallets, got the fire going, and them old boys was hungry. They cut the seal on that wagon and got in there, and they was bringing out whole chickens. And it, it's just, as the night went on, more furniture came off of that. <laughs> they bring out the couch. They had end tables. And that next morning when I woke up, there was truck drivers stretched out on these couches and chairs, and the fire was smoldering. And... The party kind of died down, you know, but they were stuck there for the weekend. And we all got it together. We, we refreshed, got more booze. We had 40-some thousand pounds of chickens to eat, man. And these old boys, they weren't afraid to go in there and get them. And everybody started pitching in. Well, by Saturday night, it was really kicking. One of the bed buggers had a boom box. And this guy came on the radio and he was hollering that somebody could help a young lady out to get the floor. Well, she came over to the party. He brought her over there. And she was just a, a young girl. She was something like eight months pregnant. And she wanted to get back to Florida in order to have her child. You know, everybody was like, yeah, I'll give you a dollar, you know, and it was just a little bit. She needed some money. And one of these guys came up with a great idea. He had a dry van. He opens up his trailer doors, and he had an empty truck. He set that boom box up there and put her on the back, got on the radio, and charged truck drivers $5 to come back to see the pregnant girl dance because she had worked as a stripper at one time. And I'm thinking, wow, just when you think you've seen it all, and this poor young lady, 
pregnant, just wanting to get home. Yeah. You know. Sad in a way. It's sad. Yeah, it's funny, but it's it's sad. Yeah. Funny, but it's sad. And here she is up there, strip naked, dancing on the tailgate of an old empty trailer to an old boom box, you know, with a cassette tape in it. And hey, she had a handful of money. And there was a Greyhound bus station at that truck stop. And she got her a ticket and got on there. And I often wonder about her, wonder whatever happened to her. But my goodness, her you know, the kid would be what, 35 years old or more, you know, by now. And uh, yeah, it's been years ago. This wouldn't go on today out there, you know. I wonder, is there any chance that person's out there and hears this and knows this story? Yeah, wouldn't that be something as if as a result of this podcast, that lady gets a hold of us and says, that was me. Wow. <laughs> I, yeah. I'd love to talk to her. I'd love to talk to her. Yeah. All right. So, Paul, you interviewed um, someone who's very important to you, who is not a truck driver, but plays a pretty big role in a lot of truckers' lives. Yeah, that that's Marcia Campbell. Okay, well, Marcia, you, we are doing a podcast, and um, we decided to do an episode called Long Haul Paul's Hall of Fame, and people who are, are heroes of mine. And on our, on our little old farmhouse, there's a picture of you that hangs on our wall because of you were the one who kind of, Let's talk about that. What are you feeling about? What are you feeling? You're getting teary-eyed, and um, emotions are running, and it's raw, and it's real. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the realness. Well, I'm actually supposed to be the interviewer here. <laughs> I apologize. But, you know, nobody in any big radio outlet ever reached out and said, I want to play your songs. And yet you were the one who kind of... Uh, okay, I'm going through Cincinnati with a load of orange juice. And I, I, I messaged you and re requested a song. I don't remember what song it was. And you played the song I requested. And then you go, and here's one from Long Haul Paul himself. And it was Bessemer to Birmingham. And I don't know if I should say that song over the radio, but I, I had to pull over and pee. <laughs> I mean, I literally lost control of my bladder because I'm being played on WSM, the flagship station of the Grand Old Opry, and 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 nobody did that for me but you. So, so thank you. Just kind of consider just the importance of, of all-night radio to a trucker. You find yourself on the night shift, maybe your load was late getting getting out of the dock, and you, you've got to get north of Cincinnati before traffic hits, and it's 3 in the morning, and, and you just need something to engage you, something to to keep you awake. And and and, and so you, you turn to, well, Marcia. <laughs> 
live from Music City, USA, this is The All-Nighter. I'm Marcia Campbell on 650. So how did Marcia end up being the angel of truck drivers in the middle of the night wanting to hear the human voice on the radio? Uh, she's got this really interesting backstory. I was a stay-at-home mom. After my second son was born, I was looking and my walls are covered with CDs and albums. So I called my local radio station and I said, do you by chance have any time to meet with me uh, about a programming idea? And I went down and next week I was on the air doing a two-hour bluegrass show free. WDKN 1260 AM. was my hometown radio station where the foundation was laid. Of course, I played the legends of bluegrass music, Bill Monroe, Lester Flatt, Earl Scruggs. But I would make tapes and record the show, and I would take this tape to my radio mentor, Keith Bilbrey. She would send tapes to Keith Bilbrey, who was a professional DJ at WSM, and I think he also helped announce the Opry. And um, I said, listen to this and tell me what I need to do. I suppose I followed his guidance. He was in need of a radio host syndicated across the country over 25 different stations. Trucking America is listening to the Interstate Radio Network. Interstate Radio Network catered to the truckers. And my first night on the air, the phone lines lit up. She just kept growing her craft and she winds up on the Interstate Radio Network. And then she winds up at WSM. WSM at that time did not have an overnight personality. And I went straight to the general manager at that time and I said, can we talk? It's America's trucking sweetheart, Marcia Campbell. I pitched another program. This is the all-nighter on 650 We're playing music. We're doing this day in history. We're doing trivia. Well, a number one song on this day in... Tell me when your birthday is. I keep a calendar. It's like, I want to wish everybody a happy birthday. Talking joy, peace, celebration to everyone. Please slow down and drive with caution. Overnight clear skies. This is what means so much to me about Marcia. See, after 2001, after 9-11 in particular, like all night trucking radio just turned into constant talk about, you know, all the angst that was going on in, in the country. The United States military has begun spreading. And through that, a lot of trucking formats just dropped music altogether. And uh, I, I personally, I, I kind of checked out after that. I, I'm not hardwired uh, for constant angst, constant umbrage. And, and, and that didn't keep me awake. What kept me awake was hearing Jimmy Rogers, you know, blue yodel um, at three in the morning. And Marcia, it took her a few years, but she resurrected that format. The Dixie Chicks with a sleep at the wheel. Here's Johnny Cash on the all-nighter. We got Chris Stapleton, billionaire. 
And for that reason, if she had never spun one of my songs, I, I would still consider her a hero. Nighttime brings out more sensitivity. And if you're joyful, it mag it's magnified. If you're lonesome, if you're sad, if you're hurting, when that sun goes down, it's magnified. But when you know someone cares about you at the other end of the line, whether it's the radio line, the telephone line, because my phone lines are open, call me. If you're struggling, then let's play a game or let's play some music. Let's get you going. You know, it may be that 20 miles or 200 miles. So I learned to be a friend at the other end of the line. And uh, so my callers are honky-tonkers. They're truckers. They're gypsies. They're nighttime workers. Or it may be Miss Mary that lives down the road who can't sleep at night. She's widowed and she loves country music. <laughs> so... I have the audience that God wants me to have. And I, I pray that I can be a beacon in the middle of the night. Whoever needs my light or my shine or uh, my heart, my attention, I, I pray that I can deliver. Long haul, Paul. I wish you happiness and good health peace and love and I wish you enough Godspeed my friend uh, who do we have next Paul well I'm going to tell you about my friend Big Jim this is about as old school of a friendship in trucking as, as you can come by. We, we met on a CB in Georgia. Wow. Uh, in North Georgia. I think uh, I passed him. Somewhere right around the scale there. You know, he turned his lights off and on to let me know it was safe to come back in. And he was in a company truck then, and I was an owner-operator. I think you saw who I worked for. And I had talked to one of their drivers like the week before who said he was like doing about a quarter million a year on his 1099. And you made some kind of a comment over the CB. How you like working there. And we ratchet jarred all the way through Georgia that night. I decided I was gonna give his company a try. And we celebrated that decision with a, with a piece of cheese. Uh, free cheese, as it may be. Free cheese. These guys were like running pure outlaw. It was a thrill, and it, it paid really well. Like the principals of this company we worked for were like all wearing ankle bracelets, literally wearing ankle bracelets because of flagrant log violations. And back then, this was my mindset. I was like, cool. Where do I sign up? <laughs> One of these chance meetings on the road, which became a lifetime friendship. And uh, through a now a span of decades, we've, we've seen the highest of highs together and now really the lowest of lows. 
Yeah, my name is Jim Selkert, and I'm from a little town called Juneau. No, not Alaska, the other one in Wisconsin. You know, the, the thing about Jim was he was just such a unique character because he grew up on this farm in Wisconsin and almost like this pristine Norman Rockwell town. In Wisconsin, if, you're, if it has a church, a bar, and a garage, it's a town. I mean, there was polka music on the radios at, at his family's farm. We would acquire everybody's favorite alcohol, and it would go in a big milk can with ice and fruit juice, and that would, like, ferment. Then anybody walking through the barn would help themselves to a cup of the wapatui, is what we called it because it had some wop to it, and man, oh, man. His uh, family had, like, some of the top dairy cattle in Wisconsin, but he didn't want any part of that, and trucking was a way out for him. And I went working for a buddy of mine who hauled exotic cars. They just found, like, just the bipolar opposite of his upbringing. I, I picked up a Lamborghini uh, in Kentucky, convertible, black, and nobody cared about the mileage. I had that car with me for a good month, and I got my use out of it. And here's the thing. I live vicariously through these people. <laughs> that, that's, it's, it's like they lived a life I, I could not dare to live. And, and I've told Jim that so many times. Like, I just wanted to hear his stories because these weren't really stories I was ever going to live. You said Big Jim was a um, company driver when, when you guys first met on the CB on uh, I-75 in Georgia there. But he, he did eventually uh, buy trucks, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he, he wound up buying a truck, and he did well with it, and then he bought a newer truck. fella down in Georgia had a, a decal shop down there, and he made me $100 bills floating up the, the entire side of the truck. And I called myself Easy Money Trucking. And he was really popping there for a while. Back then, we got paid by the pound on LTL. So the more you could stuff in your trailer, the more you got paid. So he'd go book, say, 18 pallets of cantaloupes coming out of Pompano. And then he'd call around and he'd find a guy who's got a few few pallets of watermelons or something, you know? And he, 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 he was just a, a working machine. It was uh, partially for the money, but also partially just to see if you could get it done. What we did was we would put on more freight than we were supposed to and dodge the scales. So away to floor we go, stuff the trailer full and I'm out of here. It was almost like addictive. It was a cat and mouse game and you were kind of in a culture where everyone was doing it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much true. As I look back at that, I, I don't. I'm not trying to um, valorize what we did. It was just. Right. It's, it just seemed like the only way to make money at the time. So we were just trying to make every dollar we could. And I guess Jim, all of our outlaw ways caught up with us. And in fact, you were the first one to the hoss 
my hospital bed, which I'll never forget. Can you talk a little bit about that solemn duty that you were somehow saddled with that you had to do for me that day? I was actually at home when I got the call from the company we worked for that you had been in a wreck. We haven't really talked about this directly before, and I, but I was wondering if you could just kind of paint me a picture. What happened to that day of the wreck, Paul? You know, you were doing multiple drop loads. You just had yeah. one person hold you up. You could really get in behind the eight ball. So I was behind the eight ball, turning and burning, uh, going from Florida to Wisconsin with produce and Wisconsin to Florida with refrigerated product. And uh, I just I just pushed it way too hard. And, um, and I, I just uh, I, I nodded off. So I found where they had towed your truck down there. And man, I was, Paul, I was surprised that you were alive. That truck was in that much of, of, a, of a wreck that I, I didn't, was really surprised that you made it through it. I was in ICU and, and I broke my neck. You know, it, it just meant a lot that he was there. And, uh, and I don't remember if we could even speak at that point because I had to uh, write for a while because uh, oh, wow. they had me all hooked up. Uh, to all that stuff, and um, and 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 <laughs> you know, it wasn't till that interview that he was like almost scolded me for all the cheese that I ruined in yeah. that wreck. You go, and just so you know, I had to throw a lot of cheese that week to everything that slid forward and just kind of exploded in inside. You know, really, I, I I guess I never knew that. We never yeah. talked about that. Why did you have to take a lot of cheese to the dump? You never take cheese to the dump. You can use that's that's like sacrilege for somebody from Wisconsin. Like you could just man, just the tragedy of the cheese. Okay, yeah, yes, you you did incur some injuries, but you should have seen the cheese. <laughs> so now you're down in Miami, Florida, at a junkyard. What did you have to do then? Well, I looked to see you know, what I could recover for you from your truck. And quite frankly, there wasn't much. And if I remember correctly, the only thing that I really got for you was maybe a couple of clothes and your guitar. You know, you and I, and I don't think about this on a daily basis, but you and I have been through a lot. Yeah, it's, you know, life hands you things and you got two choices. You either deal with it and go on or you let it get to you. Now, your career as a trucker ended, was it about a year ago now? Yeah, just a little over a year. Uh, my kidneys finally gave out, um, so I'm on dialysis now. And and uh, apparently the... Uh, the feds won't let you drive a truck when you're on dialysis. I don't know why, but apparently not. The medical staff was very nice. They let us go interview him right there when he was actually in dialysis. 
how has your life been since you got out of trucking? You know, I really don't miss it. You're a slave to that truck. And if, you know, at some point in time, uh, maybe it's, it's there, you figure out there's more to life than that. Then eventually the, the machine went off and we were rousted out by the nurse. Okay, we've been asked to step out and uh, we'll be right back. Okay. Yeah, we'll sit out. So our last honoree in Long Haul Paul's Hall of Fame is a fellow by the name of Fast Freddy. Yeah, I, I, I wrote a little essay about this because I just wanted to... I write better than I speak, and I, I, I just wanted to put this in writing. So this is called The Pope of Pompano. We met in the phone room of the Florida State Farmer's Market in Pompano Beach. The room itself, as best I can remember, was about 200 square feet with worn-out carpet, a few dog-eared chairs, and a wall with two, maybe three payphones. When things were really popping back in the 90s, you might have to wait five, ten minutes until your turn for the phone came up. For that reason, brevity was appreciated and expected. That said, there was no guarantee you wouldn't get stuck behind some truck stop Romeo who would throw etiquette to the wind while trying to work out some intractable relational snag with the second shift cashier from the Shreveport Petro. That kind of call would elicit the intentional cough, clearing of the throat, and after yet more time, the five minute, Jesus. This particular day, there was a haggard-looking man feeding quarters into a seven-minute apology to a New York judge. Yes, Your Honor, I fully understand, sir. I give you my word it will never happen again. Yes, sir, I fully own it was a damn stupid thing to do. Thank you, Your Honor. You won't regret this, sir. And then, best I can recall, he started running out of quarters and began gesticulating to me, smiling a bit, just needing... Someone to break a couple ones, fast. I just happened to have the right change. Truth be told, I was so engrossed by what sort of trouble this guy must have gotten himself into, I was enjoying the show. When the call finally concluded, his contrition evaporated abruptly, concurrent with the slamming down of the receiver. Jesus, was all he said. Turns out he went by Fast Freddy, and when my own call was done, Freddy was lingering by the door. What are you, Polish? he asked. German, I replied, and we wound up at a table together.
So what did he do? What was he apologizing for? I, I don't know if it was a traffic thing. Like he—he he was a guy that stayed in trouble constantly. It's like trouble. <laughs> trouble was like his daily staple. So, so here was this chance meeting in this phone room, and the, and I join him. It seems like every other guy that's walking into this market is scanning the room, seeing Freddie and walking up to our table and like like he's reporting for duty or something. <laughs> and um, I'm insinuated into his circle without even trying because I just happen to be sitting there. And I, everyone that came up, Freddie said, hey, I want you to meet my Polish friend from Chicago. And I'd say, German, Freddie, from Indiana, German from Indiana. <laughs> you could not peel him away from that screaming and kicking. I was always a Polish guy from Chicago to him. So... So, Paul, I I understand that Fast Freddy is no longer with us, but you had an opportunity to talk to his daughter, Evelyn. My name is Evelyn Renz, and I am from Cincinnati, New York. Yeah, you know, what was so interesting about Evelyn was, like, she was embracing the whole thing. I admired the shit right out of that man. You know, I was his number one mechanic when he was home. I was the flashlight holder. I was the one, you know, dodging the tools when he was getting frustrated. She was driving a semi at the age of 11. I was tall enough to reach the pedals and see plenty above the steering wheel. So he would put it on cruise and see, he would go in the bunk and hold the steering wheel. And I would sneak up around him and jump in the seat and drive for hours and hours out west. So, Paul, do you remember seeing Evelyn out on the road when she was a little girl? Oh, absolutely. All the time. I, whenever you saw, in the summertime, when you saw Freddie, you saw Evelyn. And, and, you know, he was just a guy that always had to have those kids with him. And he would always teach us sometimes how to go around the scales and sometimes how to be good. <laughs> He'd be like, oh, well, uh, we're going to go the scenic route tonight, you know? Oh, I'd be like, oh, you know, you got your log book all filled out, Dad? Oh, yeah, 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 uh-huh. I was like, okay, Dad, let's go. <laughs> yeah, there was no such thing as running out of hours. There was trucking and trucking and trucking, and then you'd take a very short, quick nap and trucking some more. After I came back from my wreck, I was I was kind of disfigured and um, facially, and my posture had changed. And the first thing he, he said when he saw me is, "What the hell happened to you?" <laughs> and and uh, I told him, "He goes, were you using drugs?" I go, "No." Goes, well, there's your first problem, or that, there's your first mistake. <laughs> exactly. I could see. Yeah, if you were doing drugs, like, you yeah. would have been awake, not sleeping. And uh, he was like <laughs> scolding me for not, you know, using drugs. So that was classic Fast Freddy right there. <laughs> but he, uh, you know, Freddy. The thing about Freddy was he. Um, I saw him as sort of like this outlaw trucker dude, but he he. He had this complete other side to him that I would have never seen had I not been stuck in the Pompano market one Thanksgiving. I think it might have been 08, um, 07, but it's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and like Freddie like stands in front of everybody like, like he's like giving this 
commission. He goes, we're going to have a feast tomorrow. Call every crack whore and every homeless bum. I even want you to invite the flatbedders. We're going to have a Thanksgiving feast, fellas. Wow. You know, it's a funny thing to say, but it's it almost sounds like a Bible story. Yeah, it is. It was like, you know, we're having a feast, invite the greatest to least. And there was a there was a guy there who was um, known as Alonzo the Broom Boy. Um, and Alonzo had a um, had a drug problem and, and he made his living by sweeping people's trailers out. And um, and Alonzo sat away from everyone because he, he didn't bathe much. And and Freddie made him a plate and sat there on the curb right next to him. And they ate together and they talked like old friends. And then when they were done eating, he came over to me and, and told me, Alonzo's whole story. It was just unbelievable, everything he knew about Alonzo. And I realized in that moment, you know, where Ralph Waldo Emerson says, every man is my superior in some regard, um, that this guy who, you know, was always a mess, always in trouble, was also just this wonderful human being to, you know, the the, the guy who's the most down and out. And I, that always stuck with me. Does Evelyn remember that night? She absolutely does, which that was the coolest thing. I was like, you know, Dad, I really wish you were here for Thanksgiving. And none of our family events were ever peaceful, (laughs) ever. (laughs) So he's like, you know, I would much rather be down here with these people, making sure all these crack whores and all these bums are fed than dealing with the nonsense at home today. And I was like, you know, Dad, that's, that's kind of cool. I'm not even mad about it. And the crazy thing, this wasn't, I didn't know this at the time, but this was not isolated to Pompano. No, no. He was like that every, there were certain truck stops from home to Florida that he would stop at. And in each of those truck stops, it was the same type of thing that you've seen in Pompano. So up, up at Hunts Point, you know, uh, Evelyn t- tells a story where everybody even knew him up there. And Hunts Point is a big place. It's not p- the Pompano Market. It's 10 times as big as the Pompano Market. And it's in the Bronx. I remember I was like 9, 10 maybe. And he'd be like, well, you can go down to Mike's to the Chinese place and get get yourself something. They're not closed yet. I'm like, but dad, it's dark. I'm little. Like, Mom says we should be scared. He's like, oh, no. He's like, I know all of these people here. You're fine. And sure enough, I could walk down to Mike's and my sister was with us and, you know, we had to use the bathroom and this tiny little Chinese lady pulls out this machete as big as she is. And my dad, you know, started to go up and she go, no, you stay here. I take Bambinos and up the stairs, dragging your machete, she went. Things like that have stuck with me for all these years. Just things that you never, you don't experience any way else besides in a truck. He trucked until three days before he passed away. He had kept, you know, his sickness a secret. And uh, we knew things were bad, but he tried to avoid coming home as much as possible. And uh, he uh, called me and he was in New Jersey and he's like, I'm at this exit. I, I can't, I can't go anymore. You have to come get me. Off in the middle of the night to New Jersey, we went and, uh, 
that's when he took his last steps out of his truck. Apparently, um, after Freddie died, uh, the truck was parked somewhere where it had to be moved away from. And it had been sitting for probably six or seven months. It just, it refused to start. We had three or four guys come out and try to help us, and it just did not want to start. One of the guys was like, you know what, I'm sick of this. Evelyn, you get up there, you do this. I had my youngest daughter with me at the time. She was like a year old, threw her up in there. And uh, I just sat there turning the key and hitting the gas going, come on, please start, please start, please start, please start. Come on, Dad, please start. And then all of a sudden, boom, black smoke everywhere. I just instantly tears running down my face. And uh, I was like, all right, guys, like, I don't have a CDL. I can't drive. And they're like, what do you mean you can't drive? I was like, well, I can drive, but I'm not supposed to. And they're like, well, this is no different. So um, one of my dad's friends jumped up in the passenger seat and he said, come on, let's go. was the most wonderful thing, the way I got to know Evelyn. I wrote a song called You Were a Good Hand, and the character in that song lived by a simple ethic. You put the load first and let the rest take care of itself. One day a man wrote to me out of the blue, and he told me how much that song reminded him of a driver he knew who used to run out of the Pompano Market, a guy who went by Fast Freddy. I said, you're not going to believe this. But I knew Fred, and he was part of the inspiration for that song. As it turns out, this man also knew Freddie's daughter, Evelyn, someone I hadn't seen since she was just a little girl. Next thing I know, I get a message from Evelyn herself. I mean, what are the chances of that? later tell me that her dad's heart had simply exploded days after his last run. He had literally run himself to death like a racehorse, always looking after the load. It's one thing to write songs about this kind of thing, but Freddie, man, Freddie was the song. Now your darkest days Draw hard upon you And accuse you To your face For the youth And sat and squandered In the devil's Cold embrace All your friends Tried to warm you while your mouth meekly played. Still a wandering soul, eyes empty, but for the passion that it is fed. Still they say. Of a good hand, you 
paid your dues to run on town till one day just turn 80 I'm still a man of 39 and it wasn't for the money no it wasn't for the right just to hear twin turbos howling across the clear Santa Rosa sky with that little brown bottle and a toothpick beneath your town laying heavy on the throttle this was to be our over-the-road pit crew includes producer and sound designer Ian Koss and contributing producer Lacey Roberts at Transmitter Media. Our editor from Overdrive magazine is Todd Dells. Our digital producer is Aaron Wade. Our project manager is Audrey Martovich. And our executive producer for Radiotopia is Julie Shapiro. I'm Long Haul Paul. So stay tuned for the final episode in the Over the Road series here on Overdrive Radio in a couple of weeks. Meantime, you can catch a playlist of all the OTR episodes we've rerun to date with, via the post that houses this podcast for March 19, 2021 at overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive Magazine. The podcast is edited and produced by myself, Todd Dills, with no small amount of support from Overdrive Extra contributor Paul Marhofer, Overdrive Editorial Director Max Heine, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, News Editor Matt Cole, and Executive Editor James Gillette. Thanks to our sponsor, First Guard, and to you for listening. And until next time, everybody keep it pro out there. <laughs>